0: Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Wide awake, I see everybody's clapping. Isn't it exciting that uh, Chris's dad is home? That is just, that's just awesome. And uh, keep praying for them. It's a long recovery, but uh, he is just keeping his eyes focused on Jesus. And it's just exciting to see uh, how he is continuing to trust in God in the midst of a challenging situation. As Michael mentioned, my name is Clay, and I'm one of the pastors here, and if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, and if you're not too shy, come on up afterwards. I'd love to say hi and just get to know you a little bit. And if you are a guest with us this morning, please do stop by the guest center, and they'd be happy to answer any questions you have and tell you a little bit more about what's going on here at Renaissance. And uh, we are in the seventh week of an eight-week series that we're calling Hashtag Winning. And we're looking at what Jesus has to say about what being successful means. And some weeks we're contrasting that with what our society says in terms of what being successful means. And sometimes those two don't always match up. And so it's been, a, it's been an exciting and an interesting and a challenging and an encouraging series uh, for us. And if you have missed any of the weeks, maybe you've been down the shore, maybe you've been uh, in Texas or in Europe or wherever, some other foreign country like California or wherever you've been, uh, if you or today maybe your first time here and you want to catch up and find out what's been going on, you can go to our website, renaissancechurch.org, and uh, click on the link that says messages and you can either watch on video or listen to all of the messages that have been leading up to this. And if you're really into it, you can subscribe on iTunes, and it's a great way to keep up with what's going on and catch up on any messages that you've missed. And so as I mentioned, uh, we are looking at the Beatitudes. It's a section of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's about a 10 or 12-verse section where Jesus gives eight statements. He makes eight statements that begin with the phrase, blessed are. And he's talking about the character of a follower of Jesus. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be successful in Jesus' eyes? And Jesus gives these eight different character qualities. And today, we come to number seven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the the peacemakers. And when you think about this concept of peace, it's an interesting one. It's a challenging one because we can look at it from a number of different perspectives and kind of have a somewhat of a broad definition for this concept of peace. So, for example, think about it from the perspective of different countries, the United States and some of the other countries with whom we interact. For example, England. We would consider England probably to be our uh, most important, our closest ally. They're absolutely, we have peace with England. That wasn't true a couple hundred years ago. We were fighting a battle for independence from them. And even in the War of 1812, a lot of people on both sides died over disagreement between these two countries. Yet, a couple hundred years later, we've got a great relationship with England we would consider that they are probably our closest ally. Compare or contrast that with our relationship with Russia or the former Soviet Union. Technically speaking, we have never fought an actual physical war against Russia or the Soviet Union. We had a Cold War with them for about 45 years, and fortunately, there wasn't really much you know, physical fighting that went on during that period of time. And in World War II we were both involved in that war, but technically we were allies with Russia. But when you ask yourself what kind of allies were we, well, it was more one of those sorts of things, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. They, we weren't, you know, didn't have really a, a close relationship with them in that way. Yet we have peace with Russia, but it's not the same kind of peace that we have with England or with Great Britain. Go one step further, we technically have peace with North Korea... There was an armistice signed at the end of the Korean War, but do we have peace with them? Yeah, in one sense, yes, in another sense, no. And then you bring it into the realm of interpersonal relationships. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, each of us has relationships which kind of run the whole spectrum. Some of them are kind of like North Korea, mutual tolerance of one another. There's no real love there. I guess it's peace because we're not openly hostile towards one another. But you know what? You do your thing. I'll do my thing. And I hope that we don't have to interact with one another. Sometimes there are marriages like that. And that's a tragic situation for everybody who's involved in that. Others are more like the relationship that we have with Russia. You know, there's mutual uh, respect for one another. A little bit grudging. We'll work together if it's both in our in our mutual interest. And then there's others where it's really like England, and actually goes much beyond that. And the and the analogy kind of breaks down because there's an actual love between human beings that you really don't have between countries. And that's the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. Peace is not merely the absence of hostility it's the presence of love. Peace is not merely the absence of hostility. It's the presence of love. And when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he's talking about people who work to develop and to foster and to create that kind of peace, that mutual love, that mutual respect, that mutual care for one another. And that's what he wants us as his followers to be like. And conflict in this world, in this life, in our relationships, conflict is inevitable. We're fallen, we're broken, we're sinful, we are far from perfect, we're going to have conflict. So it's inevitable, but it's not insurmountable. And I wanted to spend some time this morning looking at eight different practical suggestions for how we can become or grow as peacemakers. And the first one is, it's pretty straightforward, it's pretty simple. Actually, all these are pretty straightforward and simple, but they're often easier said than done. The first one is, we need to decide what's most important, we need to decide what is most important to us. If I, want a if I want to be a peacemaker, I need to decide, is it more important to me to be right or to be reconciled? Do I want to win the argument or do I want to win the person? And I need to ask myself that question every time, every time that I'm tempted to to enter into a conflict with somebody. Whether it's something that they're starting, whether it's something that I'm starting, whether I have no clue why we're arguing or why I'm getting angry over that particular... Whatever it is, whatever the reason, I need to stop and I need to ask myself, in the moment, what's most important to me? Do I want to be right or do I want to be reconciled with that person? Do I want to win the argument or do I want to win the person? Do I want to preserve my pride because I'm right and they're wrong? Or do I want to preserve the relationship? And while we're sitting here in church, and you know, a few of us may have had difficulties in the car on the way to church and stuff, but for the most part, we're fairly calm. We've sung some good songs. We've prayed together, you know, it's, a, it's somewhat peaceful in our hearts right now. And now it's easy to say, yes, of course, I want to preserve the relationship and I want to be reconciled, et cetera, et cetera. But in the heat of the moment, come on, it is so challenging for us because we want to be right because I am right, right? I mean, that's the way it works, you know. And the, the difficulty is that if I take that attitude in my interaction with my wife with my kids with my coworkers with whomever if i take that attitude then there is only one way in which peace is going to be preserved and that's if the other person makes the decision that the relationship is more important than them being right so i need to make that decision on a moment by moment basis and i'm not saying i don't you know don't hear me saying that we should never confront something that's wrong. No, we should. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But it is so easy for me to be arrogant and prideful and pig-headed that I need to stop and say, am I trying to be right or am I trying to be reconciled? And if I want to be a peacemaker, I've got to make the right decision. Secondly, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. If you want to be a peacemaker, if you want to have harmonious relationships, you've got to know what's the small stuff and you've got to be willing to let it go. You've got to be willing to not sweat the small stuff. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon, who was one of the wisest men that ever walked the earth, says, he says, "'A person's wisdom yields patience. "'It's to one's glory to overlook an offense.'" I don't have to fight every battle. I don't have to point out everything that everybody does wrong all of the time. I need to learn, I need to practice overlooking minor offenses whenever it's possible. Sometimes I even need to overlook a major offense. Doesn't mean, again, that we should condone wrong behavior. But I got to stop and ask myself, am I trying to be some sort of national bureau of standards of the moral realm or the whatever realm it is in my relationships? Sometimes I do. And sometimes you guys do as well. And so we need to learn and we need to remind ourselves time and time and time again, don't sweat the small stuff. Third, by contrast don't sweep it under the rug either. Sometimes we just can't overlook the problem. Maybe it's too big. Maybe it's something that is too hurtful to the other person, too hurtful to a third party, or maybe even it's too hurtful to me and I just can't get past it. I just can't. And there are times, maybe it's too hurtful or maybe it's just my button, you know, and someone is pushing this one particular button and I haven't grown enough As a follower of Christ, to be able to say, I'm going to move on from that particular one. Don't sweep it under the rug, because if you sweep it under the rug, the pile gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually you trip over it, or eventually it just explodes. And then what happens is, sometime down the road, weeks, days, and weeks, and months later... The pile has grown so big that there's one tiny little thing that's done that normally you'd be able to overlook with absolutely no difficulty and suddenly it becomes the biggest issue that has ever occurred on the face of the earth and you just explode and you just destroy or hurt badly somebody that you really love. And that's not the way that it ought to be. That's not what it means to be a peacemaker. Or... You stuff it for so long and it eats away at you and it just crushes you and your spirit shrivels up inside because you've been eaten away with years and years and years of bitterness. So, yeah, we absolutely learn have to learn not to sweat the small stuff, but we also balance that with don't sweep it under the rug. Because that doesn't do anybody any good either. Don't be, and this is going to sound a little bit corny, but you'll remember it. Don't be a peace faker. Be a peacemaker, not a peace faker. It's not really peace if you're just stuffing it, if you're just hiding it, if you're really being eaten up inside and you're avoiding a confrontation that should be done in a loving way, but you're avoiding it nonetheless because it's going to just jump out when you least expect it. Next, look in the mirror. Just look in the mirror. Jesus, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, a couple of chapters later, has this great uh, passage where he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And if you think about it, from a third party's perspective, it's a speck in both people's eyes. It's just this really small, whatever it is, piece of sawdust is the example that Jesus uses. But if you've ever had a speck and we all have, you know, physically in our eye, you can't see anything because it's tearing up and it's blocking your vision. And when you think about it sort of from a physics perspective, you know, this tiny little thing in front of your eye, you know It's huge compared to that huge thing on the other side of the room that's so much further away. And Jesus is saying, just as in the physical realm, you've got to take whatever it is in your own eye out first before you can look at the other person and be able to help them. Similarly, in the relational realm, we've got to do that as well. And what appears to me to be a speck in my eye, I need to have the attitude that that is a plank, It's a board. It's a log in comparison to the speck that's in the other person's eye. And that takes humility. It takes a willingness to say, you know what? I am no better than anybody else. And I need to deal with my own junk first. Because otherwise, if I don't, how am I going to be able to see clearly enough to help somebody else with their particular need, with their particular faults? And so often, the the thing that is, is bothering me about you, I do the exact same thing. And sometimes I know it and sometimes I'm blind to it. And it's even harder when I'm blind to it. But when I'm made aware of it, I need to stop and I need to take that speck out of my own eye. Uh, sorry, I need to take that plank out of my own eye before I turn to you and say, let me help you with that particular speck. Some years ago, I was uh, meeting with, a college student who was in my office, and I was doing campus ministry at the time, and uh, he was uh, we, we would meet kind of on a weekly basis and one of the repeated themes that kept coming up was his relationship with his girlfriend and all the difficulties and going on and on and on and it 's pretty, it's pretty typical as you 're talking about college guy you 're talking with college guys there 's always some issue with a college girl and you know, and, and that sort of thing. And this guy is just over and over and over again. And she said this and she did this and, da, da, And I, you know, I'm like, hang on a second. And so I start looking like under the table and I look behind the chair and behind the couch and I open the filing cabinet, and look in the drawers. And he's like, what are you nuts? You know, and I said, no, I'm looking for her. And he says, um, you're not going to find her. She's not here. And I said, exactly. She's not here. And you are. So, you know what? How about when she's not here, we don't talk about her, we talk about you. Now, if I'm meeting with her and you're not here, I promise you I'm not gonna be talking about you, I'm gonna be talking about her. We need to talk about you and what your part in this particular difficulty is. And I have been married for 28 years to a wonderful woman, we have a great relationship. But twice we've had some difficulties. No, we've had difficulties a lot more than twice. (laughs) Hundreds of times we have had arguments and discussions is what you really call them, right? Out of all of those, out of all of those, never once has it been entirely her fault. Sometimes I start it. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding. Sometimes I understand exactly what's going on. In the heat of the moment... It may be 100% her fault. But when I step back, mm, no, not really. Whether I started it, whether I didn't, whether there was a misunderstanding, whether there's not, there is always, 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 always something that I've done wrong, something that I need to change, something for which I need to ask forgiveness. I need to look in the mirror in all of the counseling that I've done with people, hundreds of people I've talked to, I've never once run into a situation where I've had to deal with a perfect person, where they have been 0% at fault. Now, God has never asked me to counsel him in relationships, and so that would be an interesting one because he never does anything wrong. But unless your name is Jesus of Nazareth, you've done something wrong in every conflict that you've had. And that we need to remember that. If I want to be a peacemaker... I need to look in the mirror, clean up my own mess before I help you clean up yours. Next, go first. Go first. Be the one to take the first step of reconciliation. Uh, Just a few verses later, here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Think about what he's saying. If you're in the middle of worshiping God, and that's what he's saying in a Jewish context, they're bringing your gift to the altar. If you're in the middle of worshiping God, you're about to take communion, the Lord's Supper, you're singing a song of worship, you're praying, whatever it is, and you remember that somebody has something against you, stop. It's more important to go and be reconciled with that person than it is to, in a sense, he's saying, pretend to be worshiping God. Because if your heart is not right in your relationship with somebody else, how can your heart be right in your relationship with God? And that's what Jesus is saying. It's that important that we need to stop. And what's interesting about that is he doesn't say, If you're in the middle of worship and you remember that you have something against somebody, he says, if you remember that they have something against you, which means you may not have actually done something, or maybe you did. And he's saying it doesn't matter. If there's a broken relationship, you go first. And now, of course, our response is, yeah, but what about them? Shouldn't they go first? Yeah, they should too. But they're not in the room right now. And Jesus is talking to me. He's not talking to you. And he says to me, Clay, you got to go first. He says to them, you've got to go first. And ideally, and almost in a comical way, we ought to meet on the way seeking reconciliation. That's how important it is. And that's what Jesus is saying. So if we want to be peacemakers, we've got to be willing to go first. And if nobody goes first, no peace. Next, ask for forgiveness Ask for forgiveness. You know what the quickest way, the quickest way to end a fight is? Guaranteed. Surrender. You're right. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. And unless they are a total jerk, that's the end of the fight. And then you can begin the healing process. And yet, how often are we unwilling to do that? We apologize but come on, it sounds like it's an apology that we watch on the news with. it. I don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat, they all apologize in the same way. Mistakes were made, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry if someone was offended. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like the two six-year, you know, the, the five and six-year-olds who are fighting, Johnny and Sally, and Johnny says. Sally, you're ugly, and mom says, Johnny, you need to apologize to her, to, to her, and he says, all right, I'm sorry you're ugly. I mean, come on, <laughs> right? It's the same thing. Mistakes were made. I'm sorry if someone was offended. No, you're not. You're sorry you got caught, and you're sorry that you may, you know, not get reelected or whatever it is, but we do the same thing. I do the same thing. You guys do the same thing. We're just more sophisticated about it, you know? And and it started, it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. You know, don't make excuses. Look what Adam, you think about what, what Adam and Eve did. God says to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree, any tree in this garden, except for this one. Don't eat it. Don't touch it. Don't eat from that tree. So things are going along fine for a period of time serpent shows up, starts talking to Eve and says, ah, come on, you should go and eat from it. You're not going to die. Da, da, you know, And it goes on. And you can read about this in Genesis chapter three, if you're not familiar with the story. And so Eve takes a look at the tree and she says, you know what? It does look like it's going to be good. She grabs a piece of fruit. She takes a bite out of it. She gives it to her husband, Adam. He takes a bite out of it and they realize that they're naked and they start grabbing the fig leaves and they're ashamed and it's all, everything starts falling apart. And then God comes walking on the scene, they run, they hide from God. God says, Where are you? It's not like he didn't know. He just wanted them to come out and, you know, and, and admit what was going on. And he says to them, he says, Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And he knew full well that he they did, but he wanted them to confess. And look at what Adam does. This is priceless. This is this is awesome. The man said, The woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. There it is. That's the first excuse, right? And in one phrase, in one phrase, Adam successfully or unsuccessfully blames Eve and God, the woman who you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate, you know, it's not my fault. It's her fault. It's your fault. And since that day, men have been blaming women and women have learned from men and they do this. Come on, ladies. They do the same thing and we blame each other. And you know what? We blame God as well. If I hadn't been in this environment, if I hadn't been, you know, in this family, if I hadn't been in da, 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 and we go on and on and on and we just make excuses and God says, no, stop making excuses be specific. None of this, I'm sorry but I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't, da, 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 you know, whatever it is. No. I embarrassed you by what I said. I hurt you when I broke that promise. I was wrong when I did that. You were hurt by it. Would you please forgive me? Please? That's a real apology. That's what God wants us to be doing. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no excuses. Apologize, ask for forgiveness, own what you did, and don't make excuses. We all do it, but if we all stop doing it, our relationships would be so much better. Next, forgive completely. Just forgive completely and don't bring it up again. The Apostle Paul great godly man who wrote about half of the new testament says be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in christ god forgave you we need to forgive in the same way that god forgave us and forgiveness means accepting the consequences for the other person's actions think about it in the financial realm you lend me a thousand dollars and i don't pay it back and you choose to forgive that debt you are accepting the consequences for my actions. You are forever out that $1,000. It costs you $1,000 to forgive me. And that hurts, and that's painful. And the same thing is true in the relational realm. I say something about you, I make fun of you, I break a promise, I hurt you in some particular way, and you choose to forgive me, it costs you something To forgive me, you're bearing the consequences for my actions, sometimes for the rest of your life. And as a result, it's not easy to forget about it. And sometimes it's impossible to forget about it. And we talk about this idea of forgiving and forgetting. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think it's possible. Because most of the time, if it's anything other than a trivial offense, we don't forget. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names can crush my spirit and I don't forget those names maybe for the rest of my life. And it goes on and on and on. So true forgiveness does not really mean forgetting. It means not bringing it up again. It means not allowing it to affect the relationship. It means not reminding myself or you of it ever again. I don't allow that offense to enter into the relationship again. And that's the way that God forgives us. In the book of Jeremiah, God says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And that's a pretty awkward way of wording it. I will remember their sins no more. But it's a brilliant way. And God, of course, is obviously brilliant. The way he words it, he doesn't say, I will forget their sins, because he doesn't. God doesn't forget anything. He knows everything. He's able to remember everything. But he says, I will remember it no more. I'm not going to bring it up again. Yeah, he, he knows it, but he says, I'm intentionally not allowing that to enter into our relationship ever again. I'm not going to bring it up in my own mind, and I'm not going to bring it up with you. And that's what God wants us to do. If we really want to be peacemakers, we need to choose to forgive And to remember no more. And then finally, look to the ultimate peacemaker. Look to God, to the one who took the first step in terms of reconciliation between himself and and humanity. God went first. He took the first step. He reconciled himself to us. He reached out to us and he paved the way not only for us to be reconciled to him, to have peace with him, but for us to have peace with one another. So we need to look first and foremost to Him. And He's the only one who is always 0% at fault. And yet He took the first step. I didn't. You didn't. He did. Because that's the kind of God He is. And that's the kind of God that we can have peace with. Paul writes, In the book of 2 Corinthians, he says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what we're about here at Renaissance, about we're proclaiming the message that we can be reconciled with God and because of that, we can be reconciled with one another because what Christ has done, I can have peace with God, I can have peace with others and I can be a peacemaker who points others to the ultimate peacemaker, God, and who helps others to be at peace with one another. And that's what we're about here at Renaissance. That's why we're here every Saturday night and every Sunday morning. And that's why we worship this awesome God who did nothing wrong, who was estranged from us, not because of anything he did, but because of what we did. And yet he took the first step and he continues to do it over and over and over again and offers us that peace and that forgiveness and that restoration of relationship that we don't deserve but that he absolutely wants us to have. And if, if I, if we all understood and embraced and really owned the forgiveness and the reconciliation that we have with God, our relationships with one another would be so much stronger and it would be a whole lot easier to forgive one another when we realize how much God has forgiven us. And Jesus says in today's Beatitude, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And what, what Jesus means when he says we'll be called children of God, it's like if you meet one of my daughters and she has a mannerism that's like mine or she speaks in a way that I speak or she behaves in some way that I behave, and you say, you know what, you're Clay's daughter, aren't you? And hopefully it's a good thing when you say that, you know, Right. Our kids look like us. They act like us for good, for better, or for worse. You know, and when we are peacemakers, we're children of God because we're acting the way that God acts because he's really the ultimate peacemaker. In the gospel of John, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Sacrificially taking the first step, forgiving and on and on. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples or you're my followers if you love one another. When people look at us and they see the way that we love one another, that is really, I think, the greatest testimony to the love of God is when we love one another. Because when we do that, we're acting like he acts towards us. And that draws people to him. Imagine if Renaissance were known in in Summit and Short Hills and Chatham and New Providence and Berkeley Heights and Plainfield, wherever it is. People say, you know what? Renaissance is a place. If you want to go and be reconciled with God and you want to be part of a community where people love one another and care about one another and forgive one another, they're not perfect but they love one another deeply the way that God loves us. That would be an awesome reputation for us as a church to have. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The world in which we live, our society, our friends, our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, people are looking for peace. And God has provided that through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And he calls us to be peacemakers, to be people who are at peace with one another, who are at peace with God, and who foster peace between people and God and and between people and each other. And I want to encourage you to do two things this week. First, embrace the love and the peace and the grace and the forgiveness that God offers us. And maybe for you, it's for the first time. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that there is the possibility of reconciliation of peace between God and yourself. If this is the first time, that's awesome. And tell God about it. Thank him for the peace and the forgiveness that he offers. Maybe it's something that you've known for your whole life. But you know what? I need to remind myself of it day after day after day. Because if I don't, it's a whole lot harder for me to choose to be reconciled rather than to to be right. It's a whole lot harder for me to not sweat the small stuff. It's a whole lot harder for me to not sweep it under the rug. It's a whole lot harder for me to go first and on and on and on. But when I embrace that love and that grace and that forgiveness and that peace and that reconciliation that God is offering me, and when I remind myself of it on a daily and sometimes multiple times each day, When I do that on a regular basis, then my relationships with others are that much stronger. So let me encourage you, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, embrace that reconciliation and that peace that God is offering you. And then pick one of the eight, maybe two of the eight practical suggestions that I've mentioned this morning. One that struck you. I don't know which one it's going to be, but pick one of those and spend some time each day praying that God would help you to grow, to take the next step to become just a little bit better in that particular area, and ask him to help you to become more of a peacemaker, to reflect his character more and more, to be the kind of person that others will look look at and say, you know what, that person's kind of like God in that way, because that's who he's calling us to be. And as we grow, as we grow as peacemakers, our relationships not only with God but with one another will improve and others are going to see God's love expressed through us to one another and to them and ultimately they're going to be drawn to him and that's what we ought to be about. Pointing people to Jesus so that they can know the love and the peace and the grace that he offers us. Let me pray for us. Father, I am so grateful that you took the first step. I didn't, you did. It was my fault, not yours. Yet you took that first step. And Father, I pray for myself, I pray for each of us that we would embrace the peace that you offer us, the forgiveness, the love, the grace, the reconciliation that you offer us with yourself. And that as we do I pray that we would become more and more like you, that we would, that we would uh, reach out to others, offering them forgiveness, that we would not sweep things under the rug, and on and on, Father. I pray that we would do those things and that we would more and more and more become peacemakers. And as we do, I pray that people would notice that love that we have for one another and for them and for you. And I pray that they would be drawn to you and would come to you and find that peace and that love, and that reconciliation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks you guys for coming out this morning, and I hope you have a wonderful afternoon.